Day 15. Year 100 of the Dawn. The Canopy. I, the fiery life of divine essence, am a flame beyond the beauty of the meadows. I gleam in the waters. I burn in the sun, moon, and stars. With every breeze, as with invisible life that contains everything, I awaken everything to life. I am the breath that nurtures all things green. I encourage blossoms to flourish with ripening fruits. I am the rain coming from the dew that causes the grasses to laugh with the joy of life. Hildegard of Bingen Adam and I woke up together, with the meadowlark singing and the moonflowers blooming. I think I could hear them grow overnight. The delicate white blossoms had sprung up everywhere. Adam was asleep next to me, and I put my hand on his back to feel the up and down of his breath, just like the first morning. No, we were not in the first garden anymore. But for this moment, I felt like we were. The sweetness, the perfection, the completeness of this morning reminded me of those first mornings we had together, under the canopy of the garden. The protection we felt there, although we did not even know we had to be protected. The suspended feeling, like we were little babies rocking in a bosom of forever love. Although, we didn't have a concept of forever, nor of finite. Those understandings came after we were cast out of the first garden. I never say left the garden, because we would have never left even though by eating of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were saying in our minds that we wanted more. In our hearts, we wanted the protection of the presence of the Creator. We had no idea, absolutely no idea, how desolate it would be outside the garden. We had no concept of outside. The garden, the inside, was all we knew. Meditating on these thoughts this morning, in this tiny garden moment, brought me comfort. They helped me realize what God intended for Adam and for me, and eventually for our offspring. He created this ideal canopy, this phoenix of paragon, this tree crown of lush existence to cover our every move. He wanted us to lack nothing, to have everything, even fellowship with the animals which later on we ate, at least some of them. Some say we didn't eat any animals until after the flood, but does it really matter? Animals will be food for many. I know that you who won't eat animals will want to criticize those who will eat them, and you will refer to the verse of creation where we had all the herbs and roots and fruits to eat and say, see, we are only supposed to eat the herbs and fruits, and we are not to eat the animals. That was then. This is now. Of course we didn't eat the animals in the garden. They were our friends, all of them. The lion was my favorite. We had so many playful hours together. He would put his large paws on me, and we would pretend to dance. Or he would lie down and let me put my head on his warm, woolly chest. The pleasant pockets of time I had with the animals were intoxicating. Hearing their individual voices was mellifluous. 
One of the saddest things about having to leave the garden was that now, here in our harsh new reality, not only could I not communicate anymore with the lion that was once like a brother to me, now the lions wanted to eat me. It was now the law of the jungle, eat or be eaten. As I began to discover the logic of the food chain, I quickly realized that I was way down the list, unless I used my brain and dexterity to even the odds of being either prey or predator. Make a tool. One day, as I was carving a spear out of a branch, I felt a presence very close to me, a powerful presence that seemed to consume everything. I looked up and saw him, my lion. He was looking at me with such intent, but not moving a muscle. I should have felt fear immediately, but in that instant that seemed to define the circle of what was intended to be good, what was now, and what would later be good, where the lion would lay down again with the lamb. We locked eyes. In that instant, I saw him as he was, and he knew me as I was. A large tear fell from his eye, a warm liquid pool of love and loss. I felt in my heart that I would know him again, but the severity of the consequences of my choice to be within, when I ended up without, hit me like the spear I was holding. It pierced my heart, and as he leapt away, I crumbled into a ball and wept. I felt the regret creep in like a gloomy, cold fog that would never leave. And I realized again that even though I now had the living water flowing in my heart and would have garden moments, and I had the essential garden pouring into me and out of me from the Creator, I would never again live in a garden world. I would still have years of hardship living on the earth, day to day, year to year. Not only that, but I had brought lifetimes of adversity on my children and their children and their children's children. Had that been the exhaustion of my thoughts, I would have perished right there with nothing again to hope for. But something about the magnificence and majesty of the lion and his ability to be like a brother to me in the garden registered in my soul. And somehow, everything seemed okay. And one day, my creator like a mighty lion, would come back to save me and my descendants in all his glory, because the mighty splendor with which the lion was created came from my creator, and my creator could never leave me without the garden forever. I pictured my lion with giant wings coming back to pick me up after he had destroyed all my enemies, annihilating anything that would ever hurt me. Even the lion's roar after he couldn't talk to me anymore said that everything was in order. Not as it should be, but as the creator knew it would be. And somehow the story had been written already and was not finished with me. So I had again this sense of knowing, and I was able to have peace of mind, a peace that seemed to surpass my limited knowledge that day. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. Eating the greens and herbs in the garden was totally fine because we had everything. The soil was rich with nutrients, just made from heaven. The river that watered the garden flowed into four rivers that housed precious stones, 
gold, onyx, and bdellium. The water was unfiltered, unpolluted, from the mineral springs of heaven itself. So as it flowed, it nourished the herbs and plants of the garden perfectly. So obviously the plants had enough nutrition for Adam and me to be healthy and strong. Plus, we didn't work, so we didn't need to eat that much. There was no stress to drain our bodies, and it wasn't cold. So we were able to easily live on the herbs and the plants. Later, when we were cast out, our bodies had to adjust to shifting temperatures. We had to toil the land. I began to bleed, for goodness sake. The monthly draining of my body. I needed to replenish. Where was I going to find enough herbs and plants to feed my starving body? In the dust under my feet? We tried to eat plants alone for a very long time, but finally, we needed more to refuel our depleted bodies. In terms of nutrition, some animals were taboo. We could feel it. The animals that became our sustenance were also our friends. We respected them, treated them well, and allowed them to roam freely. When it was time, we gave thanks for them with humility. And we never wasted any part of the animal, nor did we use the animal for our pleasure except for our pets, which we loved with all of our hearts. We did not cage the wild animals, nor did we trap any of them to enjoy their captivity. One day, orcas will be imprisoned in small, man-made pools and separated from each other, mommies from babies, grandparents from grandbabies, by humans who want to exploit them. This should not be so. As much as possible, wild animals should be free. In the garden, there were no cages, no chains, and no concrete jungles. You see, I was with the animals when they were free, and even though we, Adam and I, had dominion over them, we felt as if they were also our friends. We exercised our dominion only to help them thrive. Now, back to where I was regarding the animals. It's just that nothing grew easily anymore. There were bugs and droughts and times of famine. Sure, we didn't want to eat the animals, but we had to. And when we did, we felt strong and encouraged to go on another day. We began to realize that some animals were perfect for us. Their meat made us strong, and their wool became our coverings. Later, as time goes on, there will be endless discussions on dietary laws and boundless arguments and myriad schools of thought on what shall we eat or not eat. There will be those that eat meat, and what kinds they eat will be very important to them. And there will be those that only eat herbs and plants, and they will feel superior to those that eat the animals. There will be those who will cook their food in a certain way, and they will feel superior to those who don't. It will go on and on and on. But the most important thing, my children, is to love one another. Life will be hard outside the canopy of the garden, and there will not be enough for everyone. Love is all we have that we can give and give and keep on giving. Love is the answer to the curse of the fall. Some of my children will be homeless and starving, and love needs to be poured out to them from those that have abundance. If the pouring out goes on, the cup that pours will be forever full.
I'm weeping now as I think of all the starvation that will go on while people will be arguing over whether an egg is already a chicken. There is nothing I can do about it. You can follow or forget about the dietary laws, but for goodness sake, feed the children around you. We are not under the canopy of the garden any longer, but we are under the canopy of the love of God that spreads over us like the lush trees of the garden. We need to revel in this love and spread it to others even at the cost of giving up our religious veils and opening doors in our cultural walls. Spread the picnic blanket under the tree of love and let the children come and eat. Why will Mother Teresa become so great? Because everyone knows that to feed the children who have no food is the greatest act of love. This is why her act of love will transcend all segregations of beliefs, and she will be forever respected by the community of humanity. In the garden, all the birds nested in the tree's boughs. We also rested in their shade and ate of their fruit. Now the garden is invisible. It grows and spreads through our hearts. Of course, we still get a glimpse of it in nature, like when I sit at the bank of the Euphrates River and watch the pelicans dive into the water, and when I rest under the shade of the eucalyptus trees that grow strong by the water's edge. Even though it's not perfect, we still have so much. The beautiful earth that tirelessly feeds and clothes us day after day, even though we will not treat it well. God made the earth like the giving tree, and we will pluck its branches to the point where it may not be able to bear fruit any longer. But even then, there will be a hope of a new earth, because the ultimate giving tree is the Creator, who will not leave desolate those who love Him unless we choose desolation for ourselves. But until then, we must care for our precious planet. God has shown me black holes in deep space, terrifying punctures in the fabric of space-time. But the black holes in humanity are the most terrifying of all. These black holes, hidden in some human hearts, will create bottomless craters of devastation sucking destruction into their ugliness, destroying everyone in their path. These are forever dark, and if you knew the Creator from the garden, you would know that these cannot live with Him forever. There is no way to unite darkness with light. No, there has to be a forever separation for some. And wouldn't this be fair to those oppressed by the ones so bent on oppressing? Ah, you are thinking. You cannot say these things. Who are you to judge? Who do you think you are? Maybe you're right. But I'll say what I want to say. Because I'm the mother of humanity, and my womb is larger than the sky and can hold all my children until the day this earth is done. I can say what I say with the authority of a mother's heart that is filled with love for her children. Little children, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. John I can say it because although I am not perfect, I live under a canopy of perfection, 
And it is that canopy that desires to spread its branches over all of God's creation to be comforted and to be kept safe forever. I know, I keep going back to the garden, but it is the perfect symbol of the consummation of the Creator with the created, a symbol of what was intended. For we long for the garden in our hearts, and because we were intended for a garden world, we don't understand the suffering in the fallen world around us. God did not intend suffering for His creation. God didn't want any of us to be hurt. God wanted the perfect canopy to cover us, Adam and me and our babies and their babies after that. I, ahem, and Adam, oops, went on to bring suffering on ourselves. But throughout all of history, or herstory, each of you will have the choice, and each of you will fall, in small ways or large, except one who is perfect. That one will die and become an invisible canopy of life-giving love, and each of you will have the choice to come back under the canopy, just as I did the day I received my new heart. Thread of fire, rope of ice, hang together, loop of lace, his grace, knots of soul, tender whole, if only I could see. Unchanging grasp, tight embrace, clasp of mercy, undresses the dawn, unfolds the bud of rose-kissed light beyond the burning black. Laurie Matisse